Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. You can find this reading in your bulletin, or also you can read along on the screen behind me. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning. It's really good to be back. Thanks, Mike, for the invite. It's always good to be back here at Lake Baldwin Church. Let's bow for prayer, and I'll pray for us as we look at this passage together. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who speaks. <clears throat> so we pray now, Holy Spirit of God, that you will come, that you will open our hearts and our minds, and that you'll speak to us this morning. We're desperately in need of a word from heaven. It's a crazy time in which to live, and many of us have brought... Uh, stresses and anxieties and concerns into this place today. So Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be at work among us, to speak and to reveal Jesus to us more clearly. Would you please do that? In Jesus' name, amen. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Have you ever said that? It wasn't supposed to be like this. If you were watching the evening news on November 21st, <clears throat> you saw the video from Waukesha, Wisconsin, when Daryl Brooks Jr. drove his SUV at 40 miles per hour through the crowd gathered for the city's annual Christmas parade. Remember that? Six people were killed, at least 62 injured. Three of the dead were grandmas. One was an eight-year-old child. 
And you know what the theme of the parade that year was? Comfort and joy. This past Tuesday, 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly walked out of the bathroom of his high school in a suburb of Detroit, armed with a semi-automatic handgun, went down the hallway and started firing randomly at fellow students in their classrooms. It took only five minutes, but when it was all over, four teenagers were dead and eight others were injured. The four who died were described as an athlete on the honor roll, an artist looking forward to college, a bowling team co-captain, and a freshman with a kind heart. It wasn't supposed to be like this. In times of tragedy like these, we all feel anguish and rage. Something within us says, this is not right. Life is not meant to be this way. People aren't supposed to drive cars through crowds at a Christmas parade. Kids aren't supposed to shoot kids. But look, it doesn't take a national tragedy for us to lament the injustices of life. I suspect we could go around the room this morning and many people would vent their sadness, their rage at something going on in your personal life. In my work at Reformed Theological Seminary as the Dean of Students, I spend time one-on-one -on -one with a lot of students and I find out that many of them are going through unexpected crises. I talked recently with a young man who finished the MDiv program a year ago. He's very gifted. He's sent out resume after resume. He's had interviews, but every door has closed. He has a wife, three kids, and no job. They moved here from far away so they could serve the Lord. And now he's wondering why God brought him to seminary in the first place. A young mom writes in her blog about having to start her five-month-old baby on formula because he couldn't keep her breast milk down. Some of you know how disappointing that is. She says, when I bought that first can of formula and gave him a bottle, I felt like a failure. As his mother, I was supposed to know what he needed and be able to help him. And she says, it wasn't supposed to be like this. So what about you this morning? Can you relate to these words in verse 2 that you heard Nathan read a little bit ago, walking in darkness? Whether on a big scale of some tragedy in our nation or on a small scale of something you and perhaps you only know about. Some of you have a wayward child. You may have been rejected by a friend or by a spouse. Several of you have lost a baby to miscarriage, maybe dealing with infertility. Perhaps you've lost your job or you can't find one, like my friend, the seminary student. Maybe you're grieving the death of someone you love. Well, as sad as it is to bring these things up, and I'm sorry to have been something of a downer so far, it actually helps to feel the emotion of the opening chapters of Isaiah. 
The prophet Isaiah lived at a very low point in the history of the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. It was the 8th century B.C. God's people had fallen more and more into sin and into idolatry. If you were to read through the previous eight chapters of Isaiah, you would see it. You would see what I'm talking about. The people were offering hypocritical worship. They were oppressing the poor. They were ignoring widows and orphans. They were practicing divination and sorcery. They were bowing down before the foreign gods of other nations. During the reign of King Ahaz, child sacrifice was even practiced. Can you believe that? Parents were actually burning their own children to death as offerings to pagan gods. It was a time of political chaos as well. The northern kingdom of Israel faced imminent destruction by Assyria. They were the world power of the day. And it looked like the same thing was going to happen to Judah, the southern kingdom. In short, it was an age of great spiritual and political darkness, not very unlike our own day today. And sadly, the people refused to turn to God for help. God would have gladly forgiven them had they repented of sin and turned humbly to him, but they did not. If you will, and if you have an open Bible, look at the closing words of chapter 8. Right before we get to what Nathan read in chapter 9, the closing words of chapter 8, look at these words. Behold, Isaiah says, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness. Not exactly have a holly jolly Christmas, is it? But that's the mood of chapters 1 through 8 of Isaiah. But we get to chapter 9, verse 1. Don't you love that word, that opening word? It's my favorite word in the Bible. But there will be no more gloom for those who were in anguish. Isaiah says, no more darkness for those in distress. Hope for the hopeless, joy for the joyless. Weeping, as it says in Psalm 30, you might know these words, might remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's sort of like the mood of chapter 9 of Isaiah. I want to talk today about joy because I suspect that it is in somewhat short supply among so many of us, joy. Three things on the outline, if you like to take notes, it's a very simple one. We're going to talk first about the promise of joy, and then the giver of joy, and finally the way to find joy in your time of sadness. All right, so let's dive into the first thing I want us to see in this passage, the promise of joy. This is good news, guys. Notice how Isaiah promises a hopeful and a joyful future for these beaten down people. Look at verse 1, very first verse. He says, In the former time God brought into contempt the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Now, you need some background to get into this verse or these passages. God is speaking 
in particular in this chapter to two of the tribes of Israel. And their names are Zebulun and Naphtali. These two tribes were sort of the epicenters of joylessness at this time. Some background then. Zebulun and Naphtali, who in the world were they? They were sons of Jacob. Back in the book of Genesis, you can read all about this. They were sons of Jacob, and from them came two of the 12 tribes of Israel. You might recall that when God gave to Israel the promised land of Canaan, each of the tribes inherited a different piece of real estate. Zebulun and Naphtali's territories were in the northernmost part of Israel. They were among the areas farthest away from the temple, which was located down here in Jerusalem. And they were the least respected of all of the tribes. Zebulun and Naphtali were in the area of the Holy Land most vulnerable to foreign invasion. In fact, they were the first to fall to Assyria in 732 B.C. Thousands of their people were deported to Assyria, and foreigners came in and settled their territory. So it became essentially a Gentile culture. Not Jewish, but Gentile. It was known as Galilee of the Gentiles, or as verse 1b puts it, Galilee of the nations. It had the reputation of being a corrupt place filled with pagans and half-breeds. They came to be regarded as losers, as rejects. This is why in John chapter 1, do you remember this story about Nathaniel? In John 1, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, you see, was located in the territory of Zebulun. Can anything good come from Zebulun, he's saying? And that's also why the Pharisees in John 7 said no prophet would come from Galilee. This was not the part of Israel that had the respect of the people of God. But God, through Isaiah, speaks to the descendants of those two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, and he makes them a promise. He says, I know you've been humbled. I know you've been in distress. I know you've lost your former glory, but get ready because I'm going to send you a great light. And this promise is so certain that God speaks in the past tense over and over. Did you notice that? God speaks in the past tense in this passage. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, verse 2, on them a light has shone already. The NIV, the NIV translation says, a light has dawned. He speaks in the past tense as if, as if it's already taken place. I remember the year that my parents bought me a drum set for Christmas. It was 1968. I was 14 years old. I had been begging them for a drum set for years, and finally they caved in. And they said, we're going to get you a, a drum set. The problem was it had not arrived by Christmas Day. They had put the order in at the music store, but apparently it took a long time for them to arrive, but they did show me a picture. Ludwig drums, blue mahogany 
around the outside of each one. I took the picture of that drum set and put it up on my wall in my bedroom, and I looked at it all the time. And this drum set was so real in my mind that it was like I had already possessed it. I went ahead and bought drumsticks. I started taking the drum sets around, uh, drumsticks around the house and drumming on everything I could find. Pots and pans and boxes and books, the head of my brother and all these other things. I enjoyed that picture and the thought of this drum set. I was listening to Ringo Starr and Ginger Baker and Charlie Watts and all of my other uh, favorite drummers at the time. I was so excited even though I didn't have those drums on Christmas morning, I knew they were coming. And I lived with anticipation and with joy about those drums. They did eventually arrive, by the way, just so you know. But that's the kind of certainty that Isaiah is talking about here in this passage. He says in verse 3, God, you have... See, past tense. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, this is ironic if you know what happened to the 12 tribes later on. In 732 B.C., Assyrian armies came in and pretty much wiped out everything in the northern section of Israel, and the land was never the same again. And then in 586 B.C., Babylonian armies came in and destroyed Jerusalem in the southern portion of Israel. They killed tons of people and took thousands of God's people into Babylon. We call that the exile. And Isaiah, the prophet, being a prophet, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knows that these things are going to happen. But under the inspiration of that Holy Spirit, he looks beyond the warfare, beyond the misery, beyond the exile, and he says, there is coming a day when there will be no more sadness, no more poverty, no more gloom, no more warfare, and no more distress. He is predicting a future restoration for the faithful remnant of God's people. And he is so sure that this promise will be fulfilled that he speaks as if it's already taken place. He says to God in verse 4, For as on the day of Midian you, past tense, have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. What's he talking about in verse 4? Well, he, he's referring back to the time when Gideon, Gideon, you've heard that story, many of you know that name, Gideon and his 300 soldiers miraculously defeated a Midianite army of 135,000 by blowing trumpets and smashing jars. That story is back in Judges 7. So God is saying here, you may be in distress, you may even be exiles in a foreign land, but one day there will be a final battle and you'll be the winners just like the people of God against the Midianites. One day, the drum set is coming. You will enjoy it. One day, you will return to the land. Everything sad will come untrue. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And sure enough, if you know the rest of the story, 
In 538 BC, Cyrus the Great of Persia freed the Jewish captives from their bondage in Babylon, and they returned to their homeland. They rebuilt the temple. They reestablished their nation and celebrated with great rejoicing. So that is the promise of joy. Deliverance is coming. No more gloom for those in anguish. But there's more here in this passage. There's more than simply a prediction of better times to come for Israel, as great as that is. Isaiah has a message for you and me and the whole world at all times. Because in verses 6 and 7, he not only tells us about the promise of joy, but he goes on to tell us about the giver, the giver of joy. Look at verse 6. This is that very well-known verse. You've heard it in song. We've sung about it this morning. It says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. God comes, in other words, to the rescue of his beat-down people, not by military might, not by ultimately through even a Persian king, not through bolts of thunder hurled down from heaven, but through a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, think about this, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, yes, but where was his boyhood home? In Nazareth, in the land of Zebulun. Guess where he began his ministry? In Galilee of the nations. The same place Isaiah is prophesying about. I want you to write something down. Matthew 4, 13 through 17. Matthew 4, 13 through 17. Is so interesting in light of what we've been learning this morning. Because it says in Matthew 4, 13. Leaving Nazareth. Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus Christ is the joy giver. He is the child of promise. He is the one who brings joy to the joyless and hope to the hopeless. He is the seed of the woman promised to Adam who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the lamb for the burnt offering promised to Abraham. Jesus is the ruler descended from the line of Judah, from whose hands the scepter would never depart. Jesus is the prophet like Moses, who would lead his people into the true promised land. Jesus is the great King David's greater son, whose reign would never end. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the star that would come out of Jacob, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the, surf, the suffering servant, the king of kings, the ancient of days, the author of a better covenant, the lion of Judah, the lamb of God, the bread of life, the light of the world that has dawned in Galilee of the nations. He's the wonderful counselor, verse 6. That means that he is wise and gentle 
He is your comforter and your guide in life. He is the mighty God. That means he's powerful and strong. He is your protector and your provider. Jesus is the everlasting Father, not to confuse him with God the Father, but to bring out his Father-like qualities. He is gracious and patient. He's the one who has chosen you, who loves you, and lays down his life for you like the best of fathers. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That means he's always in control, the one who calms you, the one who brings you into peaceful fellowship with God and with other people. No wonder, no wonder, friends, that that angel shouted to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, he said, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So let's go back to where we were at the beginning. Some of you feel like these people in Isaiah 9. Zebulun and Naphtali. Some of you are struggling. The comfort and joy that we sing about at Christmas time seems very far away to some of you this morning. The carols that you hear at the town center, the decorations that you see upon the houses, they kind of ring hollow and fake to some of us. We feel like we're walking in darkness, maybe. How can you find joy in this time of sadness right now? I recently read a book called The Worst Hard Time. Anybody read this? It's by Timothy Egan. It's about the Dust Bowl. The Worst Hard Time. Really good book. Uh, what was the Dust Bowl? Some of you might wonder about that. It's, it was a period of horrible dust storms that destroyed the ecology and the crops of the American and Canadian prairies during the 1930s. Maybe you've read The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck or seen the movie. You see the effects of the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl especially hit the uh, panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma hard, southwestern Kansas, southeastern Colorado. All of that region that came to be known as no man's land was affected by the Dust Bowl back in the 1930s for a whole decade. Can you imagine that whole decade? People in that area had to endure uh, drought, black blizzards, um, invasions of rabbits, <laughs> dust storms and death. Many of these farmers in the southern plains gave up and left. But there were people who stayed, who stayed throughout the Dust Bowl years. And they had a name for themselves. Next year people. They came to be known as next year people. They kept saying things like, next year it will rain. Next year, wheat prices will go back up. Next year, the dust storms will cease. Next year, our, form, our farms will flourish. Now, maybe some of their optimism was unfounded, but you get the point. They were next year people. Isaiah the prophet, I think, is telling us, like he was telling the people of his time, to be not next year people, but 
One day, people. One day, people. Look beyond the gloom. Look beyond the distress to the unseen realities of God that will come one day. To experience joy this Christmas for those of you who are struggling with sadness and trial. Become a one-day person. Look beyond. Put your faith and trust in the King who has come and one day, one day, is coming again. One day, death is going to be defeated. This is a very particularly timely message for me. My mother-in-law passed away yesterday. 97 years old. Lived a long, good life. But my wife and I feel the gloom, the darkness today. She was very important to us. But one day, death will be defeated. No longer will you hear about people killing people, cars being driven through crowds at a Christmas parade, teenagers shooting each other, racism, division, trauma, hatred. One day, the yoke of sin and shame will be broken from your neck. One day, evil and injustice and warfare will end. It will be no more. And listen, friends, that promise is so sure that you can live with hope and joy as though it's already happened. You can even speak of sin and shame in the past tense because of the person and work of Jesus. A child has been born. Is it, is it sheer optimism? Is it just positive thinking? Is it just feel-good thoughts that gets you through? No. It's because a child has been born. To us, a son has been given. And the government is now on his shoulder. Lake Baldwin Church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the Savior born in Bethlehem who died on the cross and rose again for you, be one day people. Today, this week, when you're feeling the gloom and the sadness of life in this broken world, be a one-day person. One day. One day. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promise that you're going to expand your kingdom to every nation and every people group under heaven. Thank you for your promise that you're going to set things right. You will destroy Satan and death and evil and reign over a new heaven and a new earth. Thank you for your zeal, for your own glory and your love for us. Thank you for sending light to this dark planet of ours. But God, we need you to help us to be one day people. Help us while we live in this broken world to trust in you and follow after Jesus no matter what. God, help us to obey the Great Commission and to let others know about our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to know the promise of joy and the giver of joy, would you please let that light dawn in their hearts even today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.